0: please pray with me Lord we're grateful for this word as we learn to love others well that reminds us Lord that no matter where we go we are adopted into your family and Lord you don't let us go because you're our family and we are thankful for that reality and we pray that as we look at this passage which is difficult to hear we ask, Lord, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged and loved and encouraged where we need to be encouraged, so that we might glorify you in our day in ways never been done before, and that in so doing, we would see you move in us and through us. For in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Well, friends, we are each and every one of us created in the image of God. And as such, we are shaped and formed in relationships. And the relationships that shape and form us the most is our family of origin. Now, because of our sin and brokenness, some of that formation that we experienced growing up was more than likely harmful or flawed. For example, how does your family speak to one another? How does your family engage in conflict? How did your family express anger? How did your family deal with emotions and feelings? The result of such formation often, not always, but often, is that we need to relearn what it means to belong to and be formed in God's family. We're called to recognize our past, and we saw that last quarter in the person of Joseph, who, of all the people of the Bible, Grew up in one messed up family with tons of baggage. And yet, that didn't define him. That wasn't his identity. And he saw that even though his brothers meant it for evil, God meant it for good so that he could be a blessing and therefore God's people could flourish. We're called to put off our old self and to put on the new self in Jesus Christ. We dot our old ways. We learn new ways of living in God's kingdom and with God's family. It's all like our opening verse that Jesus said, to it. it's all part of taking up our cross and following him. And that requires courage, humility, perseverance, and to recognize that we're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit As we abide in Christ, anchored in the reality of the adopting love of the Father, we are transformed as new creations. So because of that, we're in this series of loving others called emotionally healthy relationships. And this all, like I mentioned in the welcome, begins in our own homes, in our marriages, and with raising our kids, and with helping raise our grandkids. And then it flows to where we live where we work and where we play. So God bless Kimmy. I've been practicing this, and uh, it's not always been the most pleasant for her, you know, as we seek to ask questions and and apply the skills that we've been learning. We've learned to check the temperature, right, of our relationships with one another and asking people questions such as, hey, can I check in? uh, You know, I'm puzzled by, and then you fill it in, Right. We learned last week not to stop, to how to stop reading other people's minds and to clarify expectations that have with one another. For my friends, these are, these are crucial in how we relate to other people because it lowers the temperature of relationships and helps people come to see Jesus in us, quite frankly. Because we've had people leave Christchurch because of their mind reading of us. They think that we think fill in the blank, or they think that I think fill in the blank. that no, was isn't the case at all, but the reality comes around that what they believe is not necessarily what the Bible teaches, <laughs> and so today we're going to see how being in the family of Jesus assists us to live the abundant life we're called to live as well as to glorify him wherever we are. I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter three in your Bibles. You can find it in the back of your bulletin if you're a guest or on your device. I encourage you, if you're going to use your phone, to download the ESV app and just follow along with us. Just put it on, "Do Not Disturb, please." You know It's important It's important for us to be in the word for the next 15 minutes, because this is an amazing scene. I want you to picture the scene with me, Jesus has been just returned to Capernaum, and he's been going on this whirlwind tour of preaching and healing ministry. And the crowds have become so intense that one crowd was so intense that a group of guys had to drop a paralytic down through the roof of a house because they couldn't get in the house. And even greater crowds have been attracted, first of all, by his word ministry. Nobody spoke like this. He was compelling and attractive, and you couldn't take your eyes off of him and hearing him. He was amazing, full of grace and truth, but also his miracles. I mean, it, it was amazing, the healings that he was doing, and just with the word. So this multitude that was following here in verse 31 was a desperate lot. And at the center of this group were the newly formed apostles, 12 of them, who held on his every word. Then the rest of the crowd was a mixed bag. You had the scowling scribes who were expert wordsmiths who twisted Jesus' words just accusing him that he was in the league of Satan. And the emotions of the crowd were all over the map some were eager to hear and to see some were confused and others were livid much like today when the gospel is brought forward some are eager to hear more some are confused and some get absolutely livid this is what Jesus happens every time and so every extreme was represented in this multitude you had the nationalistic Zealots to the collaborationist tax collectors. You had ignorant fishermen to the cultured, educated elite. And on the sidelines comes Mary, his mother, and their brothers. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, unbeknownst to this crowd, Jesus' mother and his younger brothers hoped to lure him away and get him out of there, back to Nazareth, where he could be protected from this mania that he had created for himself, they thought, all right? And so a message was passed from person to person to person all the way to Jesus that his mother and brothers were there to see him. And they all expected Jesus to defer and say, oh, send for them, come. But they certainly weren't ready for his startling reply. Verse 33, and he answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here. Or my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, these would be startling words in any culture, but in ancient Jewish culture, where the family was so sacred, this is shocking. A murmur of amazement swept through the crowd Mary who had cared for him all his all the way into his adulthood and had come for him out of a loving concern was crushed and his brothers too likewise were shocked and perhaps angered and although we have the advantage of biblical perspectives we as Husbands and wives, parents and brothers and sisters, we too, when we hear these words, find them difficult, don't we? So what did Jesus mean when he said, like in Matthew, he literally made the hand gesture. Here are my mothers and brothers and sisters. What does that mean for them and for us? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that you sever all family ties when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. In the final hours of his life, while Jesus hang on agony on the cross in John chapter 19, he looked to the disciple John to take care of his mother. Later, his brother James would become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and not only wrote the book of James, but also was a martyr. Jesus held parenthood in the highest regard, and he castigated those who failed to give honor to their parents as such as the disgraceful practice of Corbin in Mark chapter 7. Read it this afternoon. He did, however, acknowledge that a Christian commitment would sometimes cause family division. Mark chapter 10. What Jesus does mean by these statements is that there is a deeper kinship than flesh and blood. A spiritual kinship that is characterized by a lifestyle of obedience to the Lord. Jesus says, for this reason, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Obedience does not originate relationship with God. Faith does. But obedience is the result of it. And so Jesus is saying here is that his new family is far superior to our family of origin for it is eternal, it is stronger, and it's satisfying. Those who are in his spiritual family are more dear to him than his human family with whom he lived for 30 years. So what Jesus says here has massive implications. Number one, massive implications for us as a Christchurch family. And two, it has massive implications for you and your family. So let's look at these. First, the implications for us here at Christchurch. Put another way, obedience is key to this experience of being in and with the family of God. This was true even for Jesus. Earlier in his ministry in John chapter 4, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 4, 34. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. John fourteen thirty six. Every beat of Jesus' heart was given to perform and to follow the Father's will. This was essential to his experience of family. If this was so and such the case for Jesus, how much more for us? We're children of God. But our subjective awareness of the sweetness of being in God's family is conditioned upon our sincere walk with Him. In other words, our obedience. Bishop J.C. Rowell said, A Christian is one who is number one at war with their sin, two, obedient to the Father. So it's no wonder that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus commanded us to pray, Your will be done. For in obeying God, we open our souls to the fullness of being in His family. Obey the Lord in an unparalleled family experience awaits you. Now, this is not about perfection, all right? This is about a desire that's acted upon. And even more, for obedience is also the key to experience family with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we make... Our wills, His will, our experience, a dynamic relationship with others who are also desiring the same thing. Who desire to follow the Lord Jesus together. You've probably had that type of experience before. You're on vacation. You know, you're throwing seashells out into the ocean. And you meet another family. You strike up a conversation. Next thing you know, you find out they're Christians. And all of a sudden, you're best friends. You just love talking to them. You're talking about Jesus. You're talking about ministry. And you quickly realize that you're experiencing a sense of family that transcends flesh and blood. One of my own dear memories of that reality in my life was when I first got hired out of college to go and be on the staff at La Plata High School in Southern Maryland. Now, I knew Washington, D.C. high school football well, and I knew that La Plata had had a Heyday in the early 70s. And they hadn't had a winning season in years. And I was told by the athletic director of the county as well as the principal that my being hired in the hopes of turning this around. Well, you know what that meant for the existing coaches, right? This guy's going to come and he's going to, you know, we're going to lose our jobs to him. So, uh, you know, I'm a 23-year-old you know, young, green behind the ears, teacher and coach. This is my first year teaching. I got a high school job, which never happened. So it was totally of the Lord. And so I come in, and I bring my stuff in, and I set it on my desk, and I'm introducing myself to my new coworkers. And the football team comes off the field because I wasn't with the practice yet. I just got hired on Friday before Labor Day. School started after Labor Day back then, right? You know? And, And, uh, the head coach, his name was Lloyd Chadwick, he said, hi, Gene, we need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. So we went into the weight room. I sat there with all the other coaches sitting around me in a semicircle. So I'm sitting there thinking, all right, they're going to try to you know, drill me and just, just rip me up and down. You're not here after my job. This is all going through my head. And it's showing on my face. (laughs) And so they did ask me a couple questions about me and about Woodson football. Woodson was a highly, where I came from, was a highly successful program and and learned a lot from my, my workers, my coaches there. And then Lloyd Chadwick said these words. Gene, I need you to know. I'm a Christian. And we operate this team For the glory of God, according to his principles, whether we win or lose, come what may, we're going to live for God and we're going to coach our players with dignity and respect, and uh, respect which many of them don't get at home. And he said later that my face went from 100% angst to 100% peace. Because I I said, You're a Christian, so am I, you know. And I said, when did you become a follower of Christ? I asked, that came out of my 23-year-old mouth. He told me his testimony. I told him my testimony. He couldn't believe that an Episcopalian was an actual believer. All right, that was our experience with our old outfit, my friends, because no Episcopal churches in Southern Maryland were believing churches. They They didn't know one. You know, so, so Kimmy and I went and we visited a few and we found out they're right. There aren't any believing Episcopal churches around this place. So we became members of Lloyd's Church, Grace Brethren, where we met kindred spirit followers of Christ who had a great respect for Anglicans, such as J.I. Packer and John Stott and Archbishop Thomas Kramer. They all knew our guys better than Episcopalians did. But not from True. They all knew True. And so it, it was—it was just wonderful, kindred experience. What a fellowship of mutual commitment and obedience to the Lord together for a few years while I was there. Jesus spoke of this rich experience later in Mark 10:29 and 30, when he says, "Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel." who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus was talking about that sense of family that comes to those who walk with him and with one another in the church. Could there be any more Positive call to follow Christ and to do the will of God than that? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, but such are the implications of Jesus' statement about the spiritual sense of our family together. But there's more. Yeah, there's even more because it's correspondingly wonderful implications for our physical husband-wife. Parent-child relationships. So let's look at those. The implications of Jesus' statement for our families. We're often aware of the joys in our human families, perhaps particularly during Christmas or other holidays, birthdays. There's a special kind of familial love and affection that does course through our veins. That's a good thing. It's the kind of love that C.S. Lewis said. That's why we call our family old and we give it to a 30-year-old, that title. Old Cousin Jimmy, you know, Old Larry, you know, such comfortable love develops with years, kind of like uh, putting on your favorite pair of jeans. You just love to be with old Larry, old Johnny, Jimmy, whatever it might be. And at the same time, it's built upon all the other loves of the Bible, eros, agape, phileo, storge. Next to God and his will, our earthly families are of greatest importance. Despite all this, though, today we are witnessing a disintegration of the family, and even in the church. And the reason, one reason for that is the societal pressures are so hostile to what we believe what is actual family? Some in our academic circles, and the cultural elite, are even actively working for its dissolution, wondering if it's even necessary. In addition to the cultural pressures of how we're called to raise our kids, with, you know, get them to the right school, get them in the right program, get them whatever it might be, and we get on that treadmill, and you just can't get off. But there's, especially among Christians... Another reason why the family is in trouble, and that's its worship. In a valiant effort to stem the tide, many Christians and non-Christians alike have made family everything. Every moment of every day, every involvement, every commitment, every engagement is measured and judged by the question, how will this benefit our family? With this it can, be, it can be very commendable, but it can quickly denigrate into a familial narcissism. The four walls of the home become a temple, and only within and for those walls will sacrifices be made. Therefore, we commit domestic idolatry, and the result can be tragic. Tragic. Every earthly loyalty, if it is made central, becomes idolatry. And you do know that all idols eventually destroy the worshiper, right? The truth is, many of the psychological problems in our families can be traced to parents whose affections bind rather than release or liberate. Avoiding the permissiveness that ravages our society, some parents perpetuate a progressive, a possessive destruction which can be equally devastating. And Jesus warned about this when he said in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, child-centered parenting Spouse-centered marriage will destroy you and destroy them. What can we do to preserve and hold a high priority, however, for our families? The answer begins with the family putting a love and a walk with Jesus Christ as the highest priority in the family. Above everything else. So what does this mean? <laughs> None of us can love our spouses the way they ought to be loved. Only Jesus can do that. However, as John reminds us in his letter to 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Thus, we're able to love him and others as we respond to his love. Most of us need to be better lovers, but the reality is being a better lover begins for the believer by loving Jesus. He must be first. And the same is true for our children and our grandchildren. Making them everything will not enable us to love them as we ought or make it possible for them to love us as they ought. We are called to love and obey God. Anything less is idolatry. Our children must also learn to love and obey God. Because it's in that walk is found perfect freedom. So when our children come to Christ, there's a fellowship with them that transcends and eternalizes earthly kinship. Augustine wrote about this in his confessions. If you've never read Augustine's confessions, do yourself a favor. I had to read it in seminary, and it's just rich. And I remember reading Augustine's conversation with his mother, Monica, who prayed for him year after year after year after year to come to faith in Christ, and then he did. And then as they stood there, You know, talking through a window in Ostia, Italy, realizing that they were more truly kindred than they had ever been before. The family must be church. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus gave his startling answer, he shocked his mother and brothers and all who heard him. And the shock has been reverberating ever since. But I would propose to you, brothers and sisters, that it's a gentle healing shock. It's a graceful shock. It teaches us that when we walk with him, we will enjoy a blessed sense of being in a family with all his devoted children right here. Right now. Today. And tomorrow. And the next day. And this loving walk with him, this growing obedience to him is also the key to our earthly families. For when we seek to please him first, then we can love our wives. Then we can love our husbands. Then we can love our children. And then we can love our parents as they ought to be loved. We do this because we are new creatures in Christ. <laughs> Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So how about you? Do you know your story? Are you willing to do this hard? It's hard. It's hard to look back at the way you were raised. If If I've heard it said once, I've heard it a thousand times, well, that's just the way I was raised. God doesn't care. You're a new creation in Christ. You know? He does care. He wants to heal that if it's, if it's flawed and help you to walk with him. He can use that flaw like he used Joseph if you'll allow him. So how about you? Do you have a growing sense of family with God? Is there a joyous sense of family with others in the Christchurch West Shore community? Is, there, is it growing? um is your human family being uplifted uplifted and encouraged by the eternal sense of family? If not, or if you want it to be so, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why you pay me. <laughs> I Love to come alongside people, help you find a place, a, a small community that's going to encourage you and in your interests and in your gifts and help you flourish in this family. If none of the existing ones work for you, okay, I'll, let's, let's, this is why I, I do it. Come on. Because we're all here to help one another be fully devoted followers of jesus christ our mission statement is disciples who make disciple makers because number one in christ we're all his followers that means that word is disciple and therefore we're all being discipled by something we're being discipled by out there what's out there or we're being discipled by the word of god You, you need to choose what do you want to be discipled by and secondly, we're all called to disciple someone else. And it begins right in our home with our spouse, with our kids, with our grandkids. And that's where you practice. And it starts with, yeah, being part of a little church, being part of a, a group, and encouraging. You practice at home. And then where you live, where you work, where you play. And let's see what God does. It was, it was John Wesley who said, as the church lives this way, Lord, light me on fire. And then all I got to do is go outside and then the crowd will come watch me burn. That's you. That's me. Lord, light us on fire. That we may encourage each other in these great truths as the family of God in the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we commit ourselves right now to doing your will, not our own. Lord, we, we recognize as, as we prayed the psalm today, you're, you're in, your love endures forever for us. It's amazing. And so, Lord, we come to you and we just ask that you would help us to realize the family that we have here, the acceptance that we have here, the identity that we have in you, not what the world gives us, so that you be glorified in our midst and we would know the joy in an ever-increasing manner what it means to follow you as our Savior and Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.